it's another round of the dice are screaming coming at you. Oh, oh yeah. <clears throat> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, and welcome to the Dice are Screaming podcast. I'm Randy. I am Mike. And together we form the Dicemen of the Dice are Screaming. The gas station rose of gaming podcasts. Yes. <laughs> ah, sure, it's not great. Uh, it's, it's the you know lowest form of apology, but it's what's open at 11.30 at night when you've really pissed off your honey. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, welcome, and uh, we have a lot of call-ins. Uh, we, of course, have some about the Satanic Panic, and we're going to cover that first, and then we're going to turn to our Call of Cthulhu uh, podcast show uh, that had some... Uh, Collins and opinions people gave to us about the Call of Cthulhu's. Yeah, we, we got uh, a variety of Collins. Yeah, so we have a lot of ground to cover, but uh, we would be remiss too if uh, we didn't talk a little bit about our topic, so we're going to keep in suspense for just a little bit longer. Of course, you can cheat and look at the title of the episode and say, Oh, I know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, I see what you're doing there, but uh, hey, you know, just, just staying with us, this is. We know you know. <laughs> That's right. So, without further ado... Uh, yeah, it's all pretense anyway. Yeah, it's all pretense. Uh, like, literally, I, I, I mean, if you were to take away pretense, there would be nothing left here. It, that's, that's like, literally all we've got. Yeah, um, it's true. And when it's gone, there's nothing left but post-tense. Oh. Yeah. You went there. I'm also bad with grammar. Mm. All right, well, uh, first up is Froth talking about the Satanic Panic. Yeah. Take it away, Froth. What's up, y'all? Listening to the Satanic Panic episode. It's bringing back some bad memories. It hit me worse in my music uh, collection. For a young kid, I had a pretty awesome collection. I came home one day and all my ACDC was gone. My Van Halen, Quiet Riot, Rat... All that Motley Crue, all that good stuff was just gone. And, uh, yeah, my mom bought into that, especially the music, more than the D&D. And now later she's she's mellowed and she's actually played D&D with the, the, my family a few times. And they had, like, a goblin tied up. They'd captured it. And she was like, can I slit its throat? <laughs> just, just showed how much times have changed. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. Keep up the good work, y'all. All right, and that was the psionic platypus. Um, yeah, you know, we all got some questionable memories from that time. Uh, just, it, that that was, we covered the satanic panic and its influence on gaming, but uh, we did not cover the PMRC and the porn rock trials and yeah. uh, actually winding up in Congress with Frank Zappa just absolutely deflating them in this uh, oh, what, Edgar R. Murrow-esque mm-hmm. moment where uh, that moment of clarity just kicked in like, you know, I don't think you people realize exactly how ridiculous all of this looks. Uh, and the path you're going down does not go to a good place. No. Uh, nor is it saving lives. You know, you're, you're not helping anybody. You're not fixing anything. You're, you're scammers. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a dark period for a lot of people because um, growing up, you just, you know, you couldn't really, as we touched on in the, uh, the Satanic Panic 
podcast episode, you couldn't really articulate to adults what was going on and, you know, that they were behaving more or less just out of fear and irrational behaviors and rumors. And, uh, yeah, rock was a part of it. And, of course, you know, metal and uh, music were uh, influenced uh, gaming, and I think uh, at some point we will again talk about that. I'm going to honor that memory just by, like, tonight, I promise, I solemnly vow, I'm going to listen to Round and Round by Scorpion. Oh, that's uh, Round and Round, that's right. Oh, that's Rat. Okay, that is Rat. Yeah. Jeez, for a moment there. What was the one Scorpion did that was so big? Oh, they had several big hits, but... Uh, it was monumental. It was all over MTV. Rock You Like a Hurricane? Yeah. You know, I just... Man, I really had the hunger to hear that. I, I need power chords. Mm. It's been that kind of week. Now it's, listen to some Dokken, then. Yes. Yes. The least invasive of the <laughs> hair metal. Oh. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was a big Judas Priest uh, fan. and. Uh, oh, yeah, I was right there in the center of metal, man. You know, Winger. It was all about Winger. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, man. It's like farting in an elevator. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, Froth. Uh, Froth's also got some thoughts on the Call of Cthulhu, but we'll get back to you in a minute, Froth. But right now, it's Joe, Joe Richter, Richter from the Wheel to Woe podcast, and he's got some opinions on the Satanic Panic as well. Take it away, Joe. Hey, what's up, fellas? Uh, I loved your Satanic Panic episode. That was great. Um, I missed the Satanic Panic for the most part. Um, It pretty much started the year I was born. So by the time I came to gaming, it was all kind of blown over. And my parents, while they couldn't have given a shit less about gaming, they weren't, you know, overly concerned with it either. They just chose to ignore it. And the worst thing that we had to deal with, which was pretty bad in and of itself, was the fact that it was completely ostracizing if people found out you played uh, role-playing games when I was growing up. Like, that was just totally uncool. And so I just really appreciate you guys putting out the history because people need to hear what it was like back then because it's so easy now and people have it really, really easy. Peace out. You guys rule. Later. All right, and thank you for that, Joe. Uh, of course, uh, yeah. I'm glad you didn't uh, you you didn't wind up neck deep in it. Uh, and that's kind of why we did the episode. It's sort of a like let's remember that it happened so it doesn't again. Yeah, there's as we said with uh, Froth. Um, there's a lot of bittersweet memories from those times, and uh, you know you can look back at it now and just kind of laugh and shake your head. Boy, people were really dumb, but. Yeah, it, it does come full circle from time to time. Hysteria grabs a hold of people's imaginations, and uh, they get carried away with it. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's ostracizing back then, or was, excuse me. And and now a lot less so, thanks to uh, some pop culture shows. Of like, oh, I don't know, we can just think of a few. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, that leads us to other things, but, well, yeah, we'll be touching on that in a minute. Oh, yeah, a lot of popular movies and television have done a lot, uh, and video games have done a lot to transform uh, D&D into a not only acceptable, but downright hip pastime. So, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way things turned out in the end. Yeah, and also a shout-out to Froth for your mom turning into a murder hobo and gaming with you like that. That's... That's that's a big win. And... You're right, Joey. The best thing could have happened out of that is just, you know, that your folks ignored it and uh, 
you know, just left you alone. That was the biggest thing. That <laughs> I remember have. the ostracization, as mentioned. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, you know, then there was the other part, is no matter how much your parents liked it, uh, you know, your peers, that's another thing. So, <laughs> even being on the football and wrestling team with varsity letters, I didn't make you immune to that. You're just that weird old place, D&D. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. You know, you and Scott uh, both on the football team and still catching flack for it at the same time. I just, I, that confounded me. It's like, wow, way to turn on your own, guys. Yeah. Ugh. Where's well, that team spirit? Yeah. At least on the swim team, nobody gave me any grief. Although there's a fair case to be made that not that many people gave me grief for a good reason. <laughs> it's stark pants-wetting terror. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then, you know, I hurt people professionally. Yeah. You know, nobody would say it to your face, but uh, you always knew it. And, uh, yeah, you didn't get invited to all the cool kid parties, but that's all right. I played in some great campaigns, so who cares? I probably punched out most of the people that went to the cool kid parties. Yeah. So. Well, all right. Eh. So, um, thanks for all the uh, comments and opinions on the uh, Satanic Panic. It seemed to be one of our better received episodes and uh with that we learned a little bit of a lesson that uh it's good to talk about things that we experience ourselves and so uh i think at some time we should um start not only just uh, this gets put in the record but i think that uh, there needs to be some kind of you know official history written at some point about what we went through. I mean, people have wrote books like uh, Playing at the World and... Uh, oh, superb book as well. Arcana yeah. Unearthed and all that. But you've got to have a little bit of uh, perspective, too, from when it happened. You kind of had to be there. And yeah, a, a cold analysis uh, reciting dates and times really doesn't uh, capture the, the sense of what was going on. Uh, and the, the state of confusion... Uh, that at the exact same moment that you were just having fun and really enjoying it, you know, just uh, that there was a, a sense of uh, completion, like, you know, like, I found my niche. This is this is my thing. You know, this, this is, is my tribe. This is my people. You know, I am home. Exactly. And then to have that nearly yanked out from under you uh, and mm. pooed uh, and savaged uh, vocally, that, that, that was... Extremely unpleasant, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I'm not going to qualify it as trauma because you know I'm I'm more in the camp of you know if nothing's broken off or bleeding then I'm fine. Uh, you know, <laughs> is it on fire? Okay, well then it's okay. Uh, but I will say that it was it was a discomforting experience. It was something that was awkward and alternately painful. You know, to have people believe malarkey. And you're like, wow, I didn't think they were that stupid, and yet they are. Uh, it, it disappoints you. Yeah, and, you know, nobody ever went broke underestimating the stupidity of the American <laughs> public. <laughs> All right, so uh, now we're going to get into Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, we did a, a good podcast. Uh, we're going to touch on that it's after really... we take some call-ins, but we've got a couple here to tend to. Uh, Joey, you gave us a couple. We're just going to put two on here, and... Uh, we're going to start off with you, Joey, and uh, so I guess that's our turn. Cue to take it away, Joe. How's it going there, boys? It's me again. Uh, I just want to call and say that uh, one thing about Lovecraft that people never really bring up is the fact that he was, like with every single racist, 
was just a complete and utter coward. Lovecraft was scared of everything. He was completely terrified of the unknown. He was anti-exploration. He just wanted to stay inside of his own little bubble and have humanity stay inside its own little bubble. Um, Yeah, so that's just something that I wanted to bring up. Also, he was a great writer. I love so much of his works. But another thing that people don't talk about much is that he could not write dialogue to save his life. Some of the stuff from The Color Out of Space, for example, some of the dialogue in there is just wretched. Nobody talks like that. But you guys... That's right. It's me again. Sorry for blowing you guys up tonight. But um, I absolutely love... Call of Cthulhu. It is a great game, man. Uh, we were running it shortly before we started running our current campaign, and I I am really looking forward to getting back to it because it's such a great system. It's just so much fun. Uh, I I just absolutely love it. It's so evocative. All the handouts, even with the you know the homebrew stuff but the pre-written adventures that's probably the only system that I'm into pre-written adventures for because they're just so good and I'm not the best probably at coming up with uh mysteries and stuff like that but uh yeah so keep it up fellas cuz there's so much stuff out there to talk about and you guys are doing awesome so peace out have a good night later all right, thanks a lot for that, Joe. You had a lot to say, and we appreciate you sharing it with us, man. That's great. Um, yeah, Lovecraft, uh, yeah, he was kind of a fuddy-duddy when it came to anything outside of his comfort zone, and he did have a problem writing uh, dialogue with more than one character. Yeah, the guy was a total xenophobe. I mean, just, you know, by his rationale, uh, you know, most of humanity were inferior creatures. Uh, all Southerners are pansies. And by point of reference, he was standing at the North Pole. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a kind of broad-based contempt for almost everything and everyone. So he was a very weird New England snob, uh, isolated all the time. And while he was isolated, he wrote some amazing stuff. I mean, it, you can't really argue whether he had linguistic skill or not, but... Uh, it didn't extend to dialogue. You are so right. Yeah. Um, you know, there were other people who wrote for it, too, that had uh, a little bit better hand with it. But that's the thing, is that uh, old uh, Howard had, did have one thing. Um, he did share his universe. And I think that was uh, worth noting. And, of course, uh, not we didn't kind of leave it untouched. We just didn't dig in it deep that he was kind of a fearful soul. And I think that did translate well in horror stories. So... I think he did have a little bit of a basis in translating his fear of science and change, as well as progress. So. Oh yeah, and I mean it was you know, also some of what uh, drove Edgar Allan Poe uh, in early horror writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the morose, shaky alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but well, amazing. A prohibition for his niece. And, oh yeah, and uh, also a deep-seated longing for the sweet, sweet nectar of the poppy. Oh, the sweet black oil of the poppy. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you are right. Uh, Chaosium does a really great job of when they do any of the modules, whatever it's for. Uh, Pendragon, uh, Stormbringer, or uh, RuneQuest, man. They always hit it out of the park with more than one way to solve uh, a 
an adventure or skin a cat, as yeah. the case would be. They deliver the goods. Uh, they don't do the traditional linear, locked-in, you know, step A, step B, step C, step D, and no. Uh, Broad-based. You can miss clues, come back, find him again, or yeah. find out, or lose half the party, and then find out you should have done something. Okay. Yeah, so there is that, and their handouts are top-notch, but that's all part of how I think that uh, Chaosium probably is like the uh, golden records of the gaming industry, you know, the independent label. That, uh, <laughs> you know, while they might have been all corporate and stuff like that, out to make a buck. They were first about gaming. And uh, you also had another one we didn't cover too much, uh, which was uh, you talked about Cthulhu Punk. And I uh, kind of just going to take you a little task on that. I still think that uh, no matter how good you are in combat, you still have to get close to them. And things like vam fire vampires just disintegrate the bullets because of their heat aura. And Shoggoths just don't care. Shoggoths don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. They... You're not going to make an impression on that. But a lot of the other things and some of the minions, yeah, you're going to have a better time with. And, oh, in, that, and, uh, and in that respect, yeah, the, the minions, uh, you know, is a note to DMs everywhere. You know, sometimes you don't want to hit them with the big leagues. You know, no. you save that for the, the big closer. Uh, and there are minions provided in Cthulhu where, you know, you can have oh, yeah, creatures and things that are not... From ghouls to deep ones. Deep yeah. ones can be a little menacing because there's more than one. And uh, just because you might have eliminated a small group of them, they'll remember. Yeah, forever. And uh, they don't. Yeah, they're gonna live forever. So uh, until you kill them, and that's a good way to be. But also, a brief mention is uh, Pathfinder does a great job with their Call of Cthulhu stuff. They did an adventure path uh, just based on Cthulhu, and uh, they did get some mention from the cats at Chaosium about uh, how well that they handled uh, the Cthulhu material. Uh, you know, in a world full of fire-breathing dragons and uh, demons from other realms. You know, Cthulhu monsters, uh, Pathfinder did a great job of uh, making them still stand out as horrific beings. Although, like some of them, as Mike said, like the Elder Things and uh, the Fungi from Yogoth, yeah, they're just another form of aberration or monster that, uh, you know, adventurers pound in the ground. Their agendas are uh, very alien and sinister. And uh, make it a little different than just uh, slapping around some orcs. Yeah, not exactly as quantifiable as your standard opponent who wishes to accumulate loot, power, wealth, fame, uh, control over others. You know, the, the usual targets don't apply here. It's all very esoteric. Yeah, and uh, they made an appearance in Carrying Crown where there's a whole module just dedicated to them. Uh, they've shown up in others as well as... Uh, that whole adventure path, I think it was Strange Aeons, if I'm remembering right, but I could be wrong. Uh, but, anyway, thanks for all that, and yeah, I uh, agree with you that Cthulhu Punk is something where you can level a little bit more, but uh, hey, always remember that Star Spawn of Cthulhu is out there, and he's hungry, <laughs> and just getting more powerful every day. <laughs> Alright, so uh, Froth also had something he'd like to weigh in too, so take it away, Froth. Hey guys, it's Froth, catching up on your stuff. Just listened to the Call of Cthulhu episode, and just want to mention, yeah, that's my second favorite RPG right behind D&D, &D, and it's very close. Um, one thing I'll touched on a little bit, but I wanted to just mention, for me, um, one of the things that makes it so great is there's so many awesome scenarios for it. It really seems like there was a, a string of years there in the 80s where every scenario was great, including third-party stuff. 
I prefer running it as one shots or kind of mini campaigns as opposed to doing the long form campaigns. Um, I haven't had much luck with those. It just gets so complicated. And then if a few players miss, they're completely lost and it's much more manageable from a clue standpoint for the shorter scenarios for me, but I love it. Anyway, I enjoyed it. See y'all later. Hey, welcome back. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, Chaosium, man, they wrote a lot of great scenarios back then. Um, I remember uh, Mass of Nylarthotep, which I often gush over, but uh, some other ones that were good was Horror on the Orient Express, had some great handouts. Um, uh, there was what a Miskatonic University supplement, which was really good, where you got the notes of Dr. <laughs> Herbert West and his reanimation project that was buried deep down. <laughs> down in the catacombs. Yeah. yeah. You know. These little forgotten experiments of Dr. Herbert West. Reanimator. Yeah, yeah the reanimator. So, uh, you know, you ever get to see that movie, by the way. Uh, it's not a bad adaptation. There's a couple of good Cthulhu uh, movies been made. Uh, there's the Howard Phillips Lovecraft Appreciation Society that does these black and white. They did a Call of Cthulhu as a silent film. So if you can track that down. Yeah, worth your time. I'm just going to say, uh, you know, as crude as it sounds... Uh, it actually deserves to be done that way. I mean, it was it was well thought out and executed uh, to create the impression of a historical type film. Uh, yep, and um, almost Shadow of the Vampire esque. Yeah, you know, homage uh, within an homage. The uh, kind of a jerky stop animation style that was very reminiscent of the time. So yeah, I could track that down, but. Man, did Chaosium's uh, write some good stuff. They were writing with uh, gold back then. And, uh, you know, one of the things that people kind of, you know, forget is while we talk about D&D, like you said, uh, Call of Cthulhu is one of those games where I don't know many groups that go out and say, hey, we're just going to run a hardcore Call of Cthulhu campaign. Said no one ever. Um, because <laughs> your investigators, by the end of usually one series of adventures, are either insane or now so paranoid that no normal scenario will ever suit them because your players will be like, there's a conspiracy behind this. Wait, why are we all meeting in the same place at the same time with the town fathers? What? There must be a reason behind it. Uh, burn the building down around them. You know, just, yeah, it always... No, uh, they just wanted to thank you for saving all the people that uh, were taken in by the cult. Yeah, they just were throwing a party. Sure. That's what you say. Uh, we don't trust you. No, uh, the ones who live uh, are usually in no condition for next adventure. Uh, <laughs> so you got to have a playful attitude. It, groups tend to like do a, a single session and then return to their regular game. Uh, we now return you to our regularly programmed gaming schedule. Yeah, and that's what I think it makes Call of Cthulhu shine, is that it really breaks up the monotony of hack and slash where you're the super powered characters, heroes who save the day or rescue the princess or even just get loot and glory. You know, sometimes the only glory you get in Call of Cthulhu is surviving. Yeah, and that makes it all the more important to have a wide variety of play styles and settings for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, while it's fun to operate in the 1920s, 1930s zone, uh, the fact that so many expansion concepts have come out uh, or ha have been released in the past that make it possible to play in other eras 
is just gold to me. I just mm -hmm. love that. Yeah, yeah, doing one in the 60s, doing one in the... Uh, Hippie commune or evil, older creature cult. Mm. Mm. Hard to say. Best kill them all. <laughs> just to be sure. Yes, yeah, to be sure. Yeah, and like we've touched on Delta Green, and of course, uh, thank you for that, uh, Jerry Richter, for the, uh, uh, or Mr. Richter, uh, for the uh, Cthulhu Punk. Yeah, that's another one uh, that uh, really puts it into a different oeuvre. You know, it gives it a different spin. Um, you know, a good Call of Cthulhu campaign can also just be uh, traveling around the world and not just fighting cults and evil organizations dedicated to the old ones, but it can also be just uncovering relics and artifacts from the elder from that elder lost age, which you know can be in any era. And most of the modules and supplements and scenarios that they came out with are fairly easy to adapt if you put a little work into them. Yeah, a little time and effort, a little uh, background research to pinpoint a few details that are essential about an era. Uh, I mean, if you know nothing of the 1970s, uh, then it's probably a hot idea to look up a few things, get some reference material, and, uh, you know, fire up them interwebs and do some research beforehand. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, talk on uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, from old-time uh, fans as well as some of the authors that H.P. Lovecraft wrote Call of Cthulhu in a contemporary age, and the game seems to gravitate towards taking it to the time when the stories were wrote. Whereas, you know, maybe there is something to be said that you should write it for in a or in a contemporary setting, because that's really where the gist of it is. And, you know, with the discovery of dark matter and the Hedron Collider and all things like that, they do lend themselves to a little bit of mythos-era uh, intrigue, as well as they provide some grist for scenarios. Where does the stuff pulled into a black hole go? You know, just... Oh. We just discovered one black hole. Did we just see Azathoth, and did he see us? Yeah, the unblinking eye. Mm. Some elder, elder creature from before the time of man, uh, before the time of even you know universes we know it, uh, spinning out there in the darkness, waiting. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know there's been a lot of talk about that. So yeah, you know uh, campaigns. Uh, Call of Cthulhu lends itself well to really any era. And it does add an era aura of spookiness, unpredictability, and most of all, horror. Because you just can't kill them the normal ways. <laughs> Why won't they die? It just won't die. It just won't die. The plaintive cry of every Call of Cthulhu yeah. player. Ah, well, speaking of plaintive cries... Oh, yeah. Well, um, so... Um, yeah, keep the uh, calls coming in and, and share your thoughts with us on Twitter and all that. Uh, we're going to go for a break right here and come back with our topic for tonight. But we appreciate you hanging out and uh, sharing your thoughts with us and listening to others as well. So we'll take a break and be right back. All right, and we're back after the break. Uh, that is a word from our sponsors. Yeah, our little commercial we put in there from Anchor Podcast. <laughs> But uh, that's uh, paying the bills, as they like to say in radio, so... Well, that, and uh, we really like them. Uh, not even kidding about that, by the way. You know, this this is a terrific outlet, a terrific vehicle for getting people's voices out there. So, we, we strongly approve and endorse 
Anchor podcast. Yeah. Anchor.fm. Download it today. Not just kissing their butt. We don't get anything extra for this. We well, just, we get a little bit, but you know. know. I think we can get extra cheese on the pizza. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. But, uh, hey, um, now to our topic. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we talked a lot about uh, stuff beforehand, but uh, let's dig in. So, end of an era. We are now... Speaking of plaintive cries, <laughs> the interwebs cried out, and it was as though a million voices cried out at once in agony. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, Game of Thrones, uh, George R. R. Martin's uh, a Song of Ice and Fire is now complete, at least the TV version is, and probably we'll soon be seeing the books come out. And uh, whether you hated it or liked it, um, you know, that's yours uh, to take. I liked it for the most part. Uh, you know, I think that uh, doing what they had with the TV with six episodes, even though they were extended, did kind of put a time constraint on it. But where they did end, um, you know, uh, if you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. It probably uh, was the best ending I could imagine for it. Uh, and I I say that uh, I agree with that, not because I like to be contrarian, which I kind of do, all right? I admit that. It's a thing. Fair. But given the long-standing history in Game of Thrones that the endings aren't happy almost all of the time, uh, there are very few happy endings in any of the other seasons, uh, and very little in the way of happy endings even in the authentic books. Uh, you know, they, yeah. it, there's there is a long-standing tradition that you know the world is a tough place, and you know compromise is king, so or queen. Mm. So I looked at the ending and I thought to myself, you know, that's. Uh, very much true to the spirit of the series. Uh, nobody's happy. Uh, the job got done, but nobody's, you know, not a lot of dancing in the streets. So, you know, I do not disapprove. I, do I like an occasional happy ending? Oh, sure. Did I expect one from this show? No, I did not. And so I'm okay. Yeah, um, I think there's some foreshadowing, but you have to go back to season two for Daenerys's, uh foreshadowing of where, what was going to happen. And, you know, they, they did leave some loose ends. Uh, I did uh, kind of like the fact that when they did end the series, um, it ended as the best of ways, leaving some of the characters' uh, fate still up in the air. You know, some, so the imagination still turns ever on what happens to them. And I think that's a good part of the show's writing and to their direction. Now... Um, spoiler alert here, uh, the battle at, uh, Winterfell against the Army of the Night, you know, some people say, well, you know, this was, uh, unforeseen, or there was no build-up, or that the Night King's demise, you know, didn't come as they expected. I'm kind of like, well, there's a lot of things that, uh, we're not really looking at from the perspective of... They, when you translate something from a book, you make a, you have, first of all, the context of the story that has been written. So you can gain an insight into the character and what they're thinking and what they're doing, or what they just did, because the author has that kind of flexibility. 
Not so much in TV. You just something sometimes just somebody shows up and then stabs the Night King in the belly. And I'm gonna say that keeping with the show's long standing and really clearly delineated uh, and the books uh, tradition of subtlety wins ahead of strength and valor, and you're like, who is the most powerful? You know, that's not the point. The most subtle. Uh, the most precise uh, is the most deadly. And that hammered home theme over and over again, just you, it, it's as though it were written on a baseball bat and pummeled across the heads of every watcher for, like, literally now uh, eight years. Yeah. Uh, plus. Well, eight, ten years with yeah, all the breaks. Uh, ten years worth of just wham, 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 you know, uh, being valorous and strong and, you know, all of that. Uh, oh, <coughs> Did anyway. Subtle got you. Uh, and so I was not actually floored when it was not the climactic, you know, ending that people had perhaps imagined, uh, but instead subtle. Just bam! Oh! What the? Did that just happen? Yep. Oh, crap! <laughs> I well, thought it was beautiful. We got Clegane Bowl, though, so. Ah, uh, yes. Brothers reunited. Oh, fabulous, fabulous final fight. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, hate it or like it, Game of Thrones is over, so, you know, it's an end of an era. It's spent, for all the detractors who are trying to get petitions to rewrite the end of the series, I say, oh, fish posh on you, that's just <laughs> you're, silly. You're awfully thin-skinned for people who made it through uh, ten years of this. I mean, you know, if you went through the Red Wedding and went, oh, and you made it through that. You should have been able to come through this. Yeah, and know. I think, you know, like, <laughs> when we were watching it... Uh, I hated the Red Wedding. I was just like, oh, dude, harsh. Oh, man. Yeah, and also the beheading of Nedard's, uh, Ned Stark. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, and that was right out of the gate. Uh, with poor Sean Bean. Yeah. He has died so many deaths. <laughs> Except in Sharp. <laughs> oh, true. Sharp true. was probably one of the only characters he had that made it all the way through a war and ended the series. But, um, on that note, uh, we had the books to kind of cushion us, because I was sitting there like, this isn't going to end, this, uh, this, you ain't going to like this, nope. nope yeah, there's, nope. Some, there's some less than pretty stuff coming up. No, no, this isn't. Uh, no. So the book readers did have a little bit of advantage. Here, but you know. kudos to the, the uh, directors and writing staff for keeping you in suspense for the last minute. Will he, will he go join the Black Watch? Will Joffrey pardon him, you know, as he was supposed to do? And no, no, he didn't. No. He, uh, you, you held out a little hope that just maybe... They just teased you just a little bit. Ah, yeah, you know, we're we, almost we, there. We, we could change a few things. We, you know, oh, we, could, yeah. we could be shuffling this up. You know, we're a wild card. You don't know what we'll do. You don't know what we'll do. We're yes. crazy. We're crazy like that. Uh, and then... No, no, we're not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Off with his head. Oh, but... We had mentioned that there were things that normalized gaming in the public uh -huh. mind. And the reason we're talking Game of Thrones is not just because it ended and, you know, we liked the show and followed it faithfully. It, it's because it has been present for 10 years during the process of normalizing and popularizing gaming. So why not talk about a show with that much widespread influence? Yeah, and, you know, whether you think it was clumsy or well done, you know, I'm in between on that. I think, of course, uh, our imaginations are much better, and I'm not having the books for the last two seasons 
did kind of put me in a little bit more state of suspense where I wasn't like, okay, this is happening and was able to explain it with some clarity to other people. In this case, I just had to kind of go with what they showed me. So I was less a active participant and more of a passive one. And I think for that's some people that was rather jarring. Also as a, uh, aside to that, I think, um, primarily with the books, you got a different landscape mentally from some of the characters you got into their heads. Um, he was very specific in how certain things were going to have happened. And then your expectations would be completely changed when the exact opposite would happen on the next page. Here, you're just kind of being, uh, you know, they dangle something in front of you and something changes that you didn't expect. You could always go back and reread it again. Like, did I just read that right? I mean, did Ned just get his freaking head cut off when they went to all this work to just send him to the Black Watch? And he'll be with his bastard son, Jon Snow. And then you find out that actually, no, he's his son is not his son, but oh. actually his nephew... And, carefully kept secret. Uh, you know, you his know. wife's scorn for all those years for bringing a bastard home from one of the river uh, girls that he spent a night with while he was on campaign. Just just took it on the chin and let everybody think that, you know, they let the whole world think that he'd been unfaithful while he was out on campaign and uh, because he was keeping a promise. He was keeping a promise that nobody would ever know where Jon Snow came from. I get that. That it was a very empathetic character. Uh, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry to see him go. And also, you know, uh, kudos to you for bringing up that it did normalize a lot of things. For instance, people would watch the show and talk around the water cooler Monday morning. Did you see Game of Thrones last night? Holy crap, did you see what Daenerys did? Did you see what Jon Snow did? Oh my goodness. You know, everybody talked about it. And I think that that is a great thing. I'm not saying that, okay, that it was single-handedly responsible for bringing D&D into the mainstream. No, no, there's an entire confluence of events. We'll... We'll try to cover that as a topic sometime. But as we started this, we would but, we did say we'd come back and revisit it, and this is where it comes home. Yeah. This is, uh, I think it is part of the normalization of culture. Now, we did talk about a little bit about the Big Bang, and again, some people hate that, some people like it, you know. Oh, Big I, Bang Theory, yeah. you know, their, their uh, comedic review of D&D, you know, their performances, uh, as silly as it may have looked, I mean, let's face it, it's a half-hour comedy, you know, okay, that's... They're, they're meant to get laughs, so their depiction of it is meant to get laughs. If it was exactly on point and precisely like a game, it would probably not be. Would have been critical role the TV show. Yeah, you know, and that was not what they were doing. But they did give a proper nod uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, the very... The very essence, the soul of nerd culture. No different than uh, Knights of the Dinner Table. So for yeah. some people who are upset about the oh, Big Bang Theory also ending about the same time as Game of Thrones, hey, think about it this way. How many people got into gaming because of this or rekindled their interest? Yeah. Just like Knights of the Dinner Table made fun of nerd culture, nobody really... Oh, nobody batted an eye because it was done with love. And I think Big Bang Theory also showed love. They, they did not... They were not just taking cheap shots at it for the, the sake of it. It's an authentic, fixed portion of what was nerd culture, and now it's mass culture. So, you know, you can afford to take a pot shot now, and it's not cheap. Uh, in 20 years ago, it would have been a cheap shot. Like, hey, let's just pick on the nerds. Uh, now that it's a culturally, I'm not going to say dominant, but a culturally prevalent phenomenon, 
Uh, it's not a cheap shot anymore. Oh, hey, we're man. everywhere. Let's just we say have we, arrived. We own the planet, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Marvels, uh, comic book movies. Uh, they're doing a new Batman. Wonder Woman's been great. Captain Marvel. You know, don't even look. get me started on the new Batman thing. Oh well, Pattinson, yeah. if it's uh, yeah, well, yeah, let's say yeah, we'll yeah. leave that for another one. So, we'll uh, we'll 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 cover that in another one. But yeah, so there's a new Batman movie. You know, you may not like the new actor, but we're not gonna we're not gonna delve into that one. We don't need to open that can worms. Sparkle right Bat, Sparkle Bat. Hey, look! If there's one person who hates Twilight more than you, it's that actor, yeah, the the whiny emo Batman we always wanted. No, no, I doubt. I, I don't think so. No, all right, yeah, but what's go- whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and time will out. Well, look, we pretty much right now nerd culture is the go-to for oh, all forms yeah. of entertainment. So let us revel in that. Behold, you know the influence of, of you know so many video games that are that are very popular. Likewise, the the Skyrim uh, Elder Scrolls series. You know, yep, Skyrim really blew it up. World of Warcraft. The World of Warcraft is a game. You know, just millions of people coming together online and playing. Uh, from many different walks of life. People yep. who, you know, like, do you even lift, bro? You know, there's the guy who's at the gym who's just, you know, high-fiving his bros. And on the weekend, he's there. <laughs> uh, my Elven Hunter is going to totally rock this weekend. You yep. don't want to miss this, guys. Uh, it's okay. And I, I think Pow Cat, we love you. <laughs> Pow Cat. <laughs> Yes. We'll do a World of Warcraft, we promise, one yeah. time, and I'll, I'll clue we you We will live up to that. We will live up to that oh, one of yeah. these days. Uh, but geek culture has come into its own, and Game of Thrones was inextricably linked to the last 10-year process of, of this rise in gaming. And for that, we thank George R.R. R. Martin and HBO. You know, it's been a rocky ride. It hasn't been fun some of the time. There have been some really unpleasant moments in that show that were hard to, you know, just watching with, like, a hand partially over my, like, oh, 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 Your name is Freak. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, There have been some hard moments, but overall, it was a kind of transformative journey. It was a a great piece of film, or a great piece of showmaking, and I didn't watch the show for the first five seasons. True to form, Mike. Yeah, I get on the bandwagon late. Because I hate bandwagons. Uh, and I just sort of grudgingly come to my senses uh, after all the dust has settled and everybody has calmed down. Uh, the, the more people approach me with how awesome something is and how much I need to see it, the grumpier I get. And I just, I, I go all grumpy cat meme and just, no, no. Oh, and another passing. No. Rest in peace, grumpy cat. We know yeah. you hate wherever you're at. <laughs> so, you liking heaven there, buddy? No. <laughs> I never do think about this place. Uh, but I finally sat down uh, with a long-standing friend who was doing a marathon, and we just sat down with a bunch of comfort food. And I was like, well, why not, man? What a great way to kill a weekend. You know, I really needed to stress detox. So let's, let's watch some stuff with Swords and Dragons, you know, and I'll, I'll just find out what all the chatter's about. Uh, Wow, like three, four episodes in, I was like, oh, this is really good. They're not kidding about this. This is this is addictive. This is like extra salty movie theater buttered popcorn. You know, mm, oh, the more, more. 
Uh, and the next thing you know, you've just watched like five seasons in a row in a single <laughs> crazed binge over a weekend. And uh, But what happens next? You know, and that was it. So hats off. Yep, hats off, George R. R. Martin and the HBO crew. You did a great job, and thank you for taking us along for the ride. And with that, we've probably worn out your good welcome and your eardrums, so we're going <laughs> to depart on good company. So if you need to, if you didn't like anything we said, which we imagine you probably didn't like hardly oh, much sure, what you said here. You're totally entitled. Right. Uh, let us know. Uh, if you liked it, also let us know. And if you have any ideas for what we'll be doing next, and boy, don't you wonder what we'll be doing next with Ghost of Sheltmarsh out now. Ah. Tune in Friday. Yeah, um, just saying. So, all right, with that, uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at Death Hand Gaming. That's D E T H A N D Gaming. And Magi Box. And as always, on Facebook at the Dice of Screaming fan page that we have set up there. So, drop us a line, like, or just tell us that we suck, and I'll delete your message later. <laughs> all right, so with that, we're out, and may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. We're out. See ya!